This episode of Tantric Conversation has been brought to you in part by Pasture Restaurant at 416 East Gray Street in Richmond, Virginia. Pasture is a uh, wonderful fusion of classic heritage American rural South cuisine and modern metropolitan Southern thinking. I have had dinner there recently and had a an awesome. I, I had to go for the okie doke and have the burger, but they have an amazing burger that's uh, based on sort of a uh, um, version of the Big Mac. Uh, I had fried clam strips. Um, and for dessert, I had this amazing South Boston cream by vanilla cake, vanilla bourbon pastry cream, bittersweet chocolate ganache. It's delicious. It's a great place, and there's uh, great personalities working down there. Had a, a great long talk with the bartender, Jeff, about sort of the history of Richmond, which I'm really excited to see Pasture be part of the new downtown in downtown Richmond. And we thank them for their support. Pasture, check them out. Kiss my grits. Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 24. Mike Sorvino Bauer, who heretofore we shall refer to only as Sorv or Sorvino. Sorv has uh, been around Richmond a long time. I, I've known him um, as a member of Channel 43, guitar player in Channel 43. He also uh, played in one of the many guitarists in the Devil Tones, which had as many guitarists as Spinal Taps had drummers. Um, He also was a bartender at Patrick Henry Pub when it was called Acapella up there in Churchill, and I loved going in there to see him. He made a really pretty great scene in there, Um, especially on the weekends. He would let me uh, plug in my iPod and DJ, so, you know, I like anybody to let me control the audio, obviously. Uh, but since then, like I was out in um, Minnesota for four years, as some of you may remember, and he came through there suddenly on, he's on a tour bus with a band, Jack's Mannequin, and he invited me to come down to First Ave and visit them, and I did, and a couple other times he came through and we, we caught up, and uh, as far as I knew, that's what he had been doing off and on, even though Jack's Mannequin's not around anymore. I, I knew he was guitar teching, but uh, as we find out in this interview, he's expanded his skill set considerably uh, to being first he's a stage manager, now he's a tour manager, and so I was really kind of floored to find that out, but he's a great guy, man, he's a real really affable, cool and competent dude, charming and enjoyed talking to him a whole lot and catching up with him uh, I am probably not going to be able to maintain the schedule well shit i couldn't even really maintain it before anyway when i was doing two of those a week all the time i'm gonna try and keep doing two a week but uh i have started working a day job again uh so that i could get some steady income and some health benefits and uh, also because i didn't want this uh this podcast to start for me to start worrying about money around it there are those of you who have made it possible for me to do it all summer 
and really focus on it and maybe get skilled enough that I can do it in my free time when I'm working. And I really appreciate your support, Sarah, uh, Sarah Norris and Chris Salmon and Eliza Skinner and Mac McCormick from the Whiskey and McCormicks and Jason Alley and many others uh, who are listed, Jan Crable, that are listed on the Friends and Supporters page. I am asking, uh, though I am in a little bit of a bind between now and when I see a paycheck again. So if anybody has been listening on a regular basis and you haven't yet uh, made a small donation, donation of any kind, please do go to the that page on my website. It's just a little credit card payment. We appreciate your support. And uh, I think I uh, may have found a way to get up to New York to do some expats up there. They have a training session for uh, the place that I work. It's going to be in Queens, which I've been looking around. It's kind of far from where I think most of the people I know live. But I think I'm going to figure something out. That'll be cool. Uh, it is fall now, and the weather is changing. And, man, it really is a change in the mentality when you walk outside and the heat doesn't start humping you. The humidity doesn't start humping you. freeze you up. And I think that's another reason I decided to go back to work. I kind of felt like it's time to go back to school, time to get those new school jeans and those new school clothes and and be going somewhere every day and being part of something and being in a bit of a system. I did. I realized I did miss it. I mean, I've had a love-hate relationship with Restaurant Depot, but I've gone back there and plugged myself into a department that's a little more suitable for me, and I found that I really like being around all those peeper, peep, peeper, people there again some nice folks that I work with and I enjoy them and I really enjoy all the restaurant tours that come rolling through the joint I uh, get a chance to shoot the shit with all kinds of people from Manny from Cuba Cuba and dude from Proper Pie was just in the other day and Thor who's uh, taking over Empire and going to be turning it into something a little bit more like what the Metro used to be at least that's still what we're talking about here that's exciting and I like, I like this I've been in the uh the nexus of all the people in the food service business because I do love it. I've worked in it a long time. And uh, now I'm kind of <clears throat> in a spot where I'm not just back there in that cooler lugging heavy boxes of meat. I'm up front, front of the house. That's where I like it, front of the house. So uh, that's good. Positive things. We're thinking of positive things to say because we are pro on tantric conversations. We are for things. There are plenty of things to be against, but let's, let's think of something every day to be positive about right right okay well mike sorvino is a positive dude and uh oh so i called him mike again sorvino is a positive dude and i you're positively going to enjoy listening to his story let's get to it good evening yeah sitting here with mike mike bauer right aka sorvino where did that nickname come from man dude it, it's like from way back in like the early mid 90s you know me and Shub, we played in a band back then called serotonin jimmy shuba yeah right yeah that's like back when i first met you and uh he uh there was a guy <clears throat> dave smallwood that was the other guitar player it was like it was funny it was two mics i believe it was like two mics two days in a gym something like that you know and uh Maybe I'm wrong, but I think it was. But um, so anyway, 
Dave Smallwood just started calling me Sorvino out of nowhere. One day. It didn't, no context. It just, no just context. Happened. No reason. Hit him up on Facebook asking. I don't know. Was his, what's his name? <laughs> Dave Smallwood. Dave Smallwood. <laughs> yeah. Right. Maybe we'll just let, the, let it stay mysterious. Yeah, mysterious so, Smallwood. You know what? Since, <laughs> since that mic is like kind of crap, bring it into your face. I'm going to take yeah. your level down because I'll yeah. just get a lot of noise from Check. it. Check. Yeah. See how I got mine right up in, in my face Check. like Check. this? Check. Check in the mic. Yeah. Check in the mic. That's much better. One, two, one, two. You had talk talk a little bit more. Check 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 check. Okay. All right. So, wh- where are you from originally? I grew up in uh, Harford County, Maryland. Did you really? Yeah, it's right at the uh, top of the Chesapeake Bay. I was actually born in Havity Grace, Maryland. Haver de Grace. Yeah, you might have seen it on the ninety-five oh. there. I've seen the street signs. Yeah, it's a pretty cool town. You should go check it out. The road signs. Old French, like French. City. It uh-huh. was a French town, you know, right. when it was in, I guess, invented or established. Founded whatever. by founded, the French. Uh-huh. Founded by the Frenchies. So, like, all the streets are kind of like the fan. It goes out in a big giant fan from a point where the uh, Susquehanna meets the Chesapeake Bay, which is pretty, pretty dramatic, very dramatic entrance into the uh, Chesapeake Bay. There, it's huge. Two miles. So it's one of those inlets from the. Chesapeake Bay, where you could get inland. Yeah, you can come yeah. all the way up from the ocean up to there. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So it's a port town, kind of, yeah. or was. Could have been, yeah. But what was it like when you were growing up? What was the big uh, industry there? What did your dad do? My parents worked for the military. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So you're an army brat? Which Well, which military? Kinda. I guess I assumed it was army. <clears> but. <throat> My dad was an F-4 pilot in the Marines, but... Unfortunately for me, he passed when I was a little dude. Uh, but he was, you know, he did good things. He was pretty badass. And then my mom, she actually, like, started out as a secretary for a general. Mm-hmm. And then she retired as, like, the first female civilian inspector general for the Department of the Army in, like, U.S. history. Wow. It's pretty cool. They, like, flew a flag over the Capitol for her. <laughs> when she retired, they had a party for her. She had, like, two... Eight foot long tables of nothing but like medals and these special coins that they give you for I don't know all kinds of crazy shit. They had everybody from everybody come out there. It was, it was pretty impressive. Wow, pretty awesome. Man. But you know, unfortunately, she had a job that she could never talk about. Right, so I was sick. about to ask. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what I mean? top secret. <laughs> yeah, all of it was like. So how was you? Good. <laughs> that was about it. <laughs> cool. <laughs> It, what, what, were they? Was she? Were they around a lot when you were growing up? I mean, well, your dad. How, how old were you when your dad died? I was like four. Oh wow! Yeah, so it was pretty early. And your mom ever remarried? Way later, I had like the evil stepdad, but later got you know, you know, it was it was rough for me when my stepdad ended my life because it was right when it was like a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. You know, I was being hit with hormones and. And everything all at once. You right. Know what I mean, high school, you know, all this shit, just all at once. You know, it was a really interesting, interesting time. And I grew up in like, not that, well, to date myself, like I was a freshman in high school in 86. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you that's know? about, that's, that's younger than me. It's pretty, really? <laughs> yeah. How old are you? I'm, I'm two years, I started 84. That was my freshman year. Damn. Yeah. So there. Wow. I thought, I thought <laughs> I was definitely older than you. No, man. That's pretty I'm amazing. Four three, forty three. Yeah, I'm definitely not there. <laughs> Forty two. Yeah. So what are you seventy then? Yeah. 
71. Born in 70, yeah. yeah. yeah so, so I guess the 85, 86 school year there. So you were hitting so adolescence. that shit was. Well, you know? Yeah. Well, what you do know, you mean? Like adolescence? I remember that. But. Adolescence. <laughs> you know, things were definitely different than, than they are now. That's for sure. What was so? What, did you have a fuck you, you, you know, motherfucker food eater kind of thing with the stepdad? Or? <clears throat> yeah, that kind of thing. It was like we just didn't get along about things, you know, and it led to me like I spent like the sophomore year of high school living with an aunt. That was awesome because that's when I joined my first band ever. Mm-hmm. So I had like that freedom. I bought a dirt bike. I got a job. It was great, you know, great, great times. But then my aunt wanted to move <clears throat> to Florida <clears throat> and I didn't want to go. And my parents, they didn't want me to go either. And at that time, you know, everybody kind of chilled out, you know, mm-hmm. and it wasn't so bad for a little while. But, you know, it took a long time for my stepdad and I to finally, you know, be able to have a decent conversation. And since then, things are great. I mean, I love the guy. He's awesome. I was terrible. I was crazy, you know, mm-hmm. back then. I don't know what it was. Between, like, 14 and 34, but maybe, you know, even up until, like, at least 29 for sure. From 14 to, like, 29, I kind of pretty much lived, like, I wasn't going to see 30. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I was like, fuck it. Falls to the wall about everything. Did you start off, like, partying at a young age, like, drinking and all that kind of oh, shit? Oh, yeah, yeah. All through high school and shit. And yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I probably I probably first got drunk when I was, like, maybe 14. <laughs> yeah. That's about right on schedule. <laughs> you know? I think. Yeah. And then... Although then it didn't happen with any frequency. It was like, damn, I got right. fucked up and puked. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. You know, wow. Then a year went by. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> same, that was the same for me. Yeah, it was kind of weird. <laughs> but then, you know, as you get older, you know, you just, you know. And then when I, like I said, I joined my first band when I was in a, you know, sophomore high school. And like. Uh, Had you, already, you obviously been playing guitar before that, though? Yeah, I started playing guitar like. When I was right around eight or nine years old, ish, mm-hmm. somewhere around there, and we all lived. As my mom, you know, her career got bigger, we moved from different places. So we started out, obviously, like in an apartment. But then, you know, a couple of years after that, my mom got a new job and more money, and we moved to a townhouse in a townhouse community. Mm-hmm. Had a pool and a big old playground. And there was these two cats this guy, John Monroe, and his friend, I can never remember his name, but. They would sit down there with like a 12 string and a 6 string and they'd be playing like Children of the Beast, you know, Motley Crue uh-huh. and shit. And I'm uh-huh. like, I'm yeah. going to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was like, check it. I got this guitar for Christmas. I used to run it. I, every time I'd see him, I'd run home and get my guitar and run back to the playground. <laughs> the bug these motherfuckers on teach me some chords. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, for real, that summer, that was like the summer of hell for them. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> no doubt, dude. But I came back, you know, like from that, you know, I'd, Learned the basic Led Zeppelin tunes and some Pink Floyd and shit. And just, you know, <clears throat> then we would, like, hang out on our front porches. So my neighbors down the street were, like, my age, mm-hmm. best friends to this day. And we used to sit on our front porches playing guitar. You know, that was it for, like, a long time. You know, maybe a couple of years. Seemed like forever then, you know. But then it was like... Was it all, like, kind of covers and stuff? Or were you uh, oh, yeah. jamming it out a little bit? Yeah, playing? like... Sometimes, like, the first couple of songs I ever wrote were, like, to my mom when she would come home after work and I'd just be chilling in the living room playing. She'd turn the TV off and put a 
washcloths over her head uh-huh. and be laid back. And I was just, I tried to play her something pretty. And she was always like, that was really nice. Thank you. I feel great. And we're we talking instrumental or were there words? Yeah, just total instrumental mm-hmm. shit. Just because at the time I was, my whole goal was like just being able to go from one chord to another without mm-hmm. thinking about mm-hmm. it. You mm-hmm. know, I just want to be able to throw it on there. Boom, boom, mm-hmm. boom. So like I would just like make up shit to just kind of be like an exercise, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Just yeah. Like, I wonder if I could go through all these chords in some sort of a rhythm, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of a thing. And then it just kind of led into, well, maybe I'll shorten this part or play this part for a while, you know, or whatever, you know what I mean? Kind of fuck with it a little bit. But yeah, that was that was pretty much how that all started. I had a cousin. See, now, I used to come to Virginia every summer for a week, my sister and I, sometimes two weeks if we had some other cousins. I come from a big family on mm-hmm. my mom's side. Mm-hmm. and um, Roman Catholic? No. What a, I don't even know. No. But... I forget what my grandfather was. It was either Baptist or like Presbyterian or something mm-hmm. like that. Either which way, you know, twelve kids. You know what I'm saying? Wow, you know? that's that's usually got some uh, r- religion like Catholicism behind it. Yeah. But they just <laughs> I think so because I have a. Was it a farm family? No, oh, he was big. a gardener for the. Uh, my grandfather Johnny was a, Appleseed. Yeah, he was a gardener for <laughs> who was it? The uh, what was his name? It's really famous name too. Shit. Politician, actor? No, like old money rich uh fucking Rockefeller? No. I wanna say it begins with a F. Oh let me forget about it. All right. Come back to me. But anyway, this guy had this huge mansion called mm-hmm. Mossside. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather was the gardener for this mansion here? in the States. Was no, this up here? in Maryland. Oh, because it's like yeah. a Mossside Avenue on North Side yeah. here. Yeah. So yeah, it was like it was up. You know, it was up in Faustin, Maryland, where my mm-hmm. my parents live there to this day. But anyway, oh Forbes, Forbes. Okay, got yeah. it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Forbes. That's it. Knew it would come back to me. <laughs> so you had a big family, and you and your sister. Some of your uh, aunts and uncles lived in yeah. or in Richmond or well, just no, in Virginia. Nine of like nine of my mother's siblings were girls, and she's uh-huh. second to the youngest of all of them. So you know, growing up. You know, after, you know, my dad passing, you know, my mom's sisters kind of rallied. And, man, I'd, we'd spend time over all of their houses. Mm-hmm. My uncle, you know, my Aunt Rosie, Uncle Donald, my Aunt Gertie's house. I mean, list is on. My Aunt Susie's house, my Aunt Margaret's house, who mm-hmm. lived down here. And she actually lived up in, uh, she still lives there, Great Falls. Oh, okay. You know, mm-hmm. still lives there. Right outside of D.C. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so we'd come down here for a week every summer down to Richmond. And my cousin Preston from... Uh, my aunt Margaret and that family. One summer, he bought me a chord dictionary. Oh wow! Because he was taking guitar lessons, mm-hmm. I wasn't taking guitar lessons. I was just like, "Well, you know, I'm just fucking around." Mm-hmm. You had everything the, that those two guys taught you, and then you were just working with that. Yeah, right? just working mm-hmm. with that. And so, like, we went, you know, we went to drop him off while we were there during that week that summer to his guitar lesson. And uh, while we were there at the music store on the way out, awesome dude that he is, bought me the chord dictionary. So like. When my parents came to pick us up, you know, my mom came to get me, my sister and I, um, <clears throat> you know, Preston was like, I got something for you. Boom. Chord Dictionary. Awesome, dude. Mm-hmm. So I would then, my stepdad was just dating my mom. Mm-hmm. And when he dated my mom, he was definitely a lot cooler than when he married <laughs> my mom. I don't know what happened. <laughs> so this is like the good years, he, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, And like, <clears throat> I would literally put him through hell by sitting, you know, he would sit there with me chilling, drinking beer while I'd be like 
looking up the C chord and then switching over to the G chord and switching over to the D chord, you know, like, and I would just play those chords over and over and over and over again until I could finally mm-hmm. stop looking, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That kind of shit. So, and dude, I used to, back then I dove into the guitar really hard for a long time. I used to sleep with my guitar in my bed. Wow. You know, like literally. That's some Jimi Hendrix shit right there. I would totally sleep with my guitar. I would wake I would fall asleep playing it. Put it off to the side. Wake up and start playing again. Damn. I mean, immediately. Like, all the time. Not even think about it. So it was pretty cool. <clears throat> I got to the point to where, like, when I did get to high school, I was able to teach kids because I went to guitar. <laughs> I did a guitar class mm-hmm. in high school. I went to Votech. And uh, my teacher, Miss Kelly, she was, a, she was a choir teacher. She mm-hmm. didn't know anything about guitars. Mm-hmm. She could play a little bit of piano. But she knew music theory. She knew things. Right. You know, but she was a vocal person. Mm-hmm. She was the chorus leader, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she got us all singing in chorus, and it was pretty cool. But um, <clears throat> I went and did this guitar class, you know, because I needed the elective yeah. to graduate. You know, the easy A. Yeah, the easy A. And literally, though, man, like, we got through one week. She put me off in my own room. I was teaching kids how to play songs for, like, their lunch money. Or we had, like, a, a thing at the, at the cafeteria that sold candy bars. They'd buy me a candy bar. <laughs> I was like, cool. <laughs> so I'd be, like, teaching all the riffs for the cats back then. And eventually, this one girl, she actually, her name was Dawn. I can't remember her last name. But she actually got through the workbooks before anybody else did. So she stuck her in the room with me. And I used to just be over there shredding. Mm-hmm. The school had an awesome Diagostino guitar. Mm-hmm. And we used to have those... Uh, polytone mini brutes you know for amplifiers so i'd just be in there cranked up just shredding away you know and what I mean? was it who was who were your guy uh gotta say this who were your guys who were the guitar players that you liked that you were trying to i mean were you emulating anybody or like well i mean at that point it was really an interesting time because before then i hadn't really touched an electric guitar i just knew i just was like a real acoustic-y kind of a guy mm-hmm. so like finger know, picking or both pick. you know mm-hmm. as much as i could do of any of it mm-hmm. you know what i mean i mean what what i heard and and then translated into my own way i mm-hmm. guess you know what i'm saying you know so you know but yeah man i mean like then i was like more interested in playing you know wish you were here and that record and right you know shit like eagles and shit like that you know mm-hmm. but then i made the jump to an electric guitar like my freshman year i got a summer job and I needed two things. I went to work for my aunt cutting grass, the worst summer of ever, of all time. But I needed two things. And I, I needed a watch that had a beeper on it so that I could run a stupid mile to play football that year. You uh-huh. know what I'm saying? So I had to get this jogging watch so I could learn how to run a mile within seven or 20 minutes, whatever the fuck. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> and, then, and then I also got this... Um, uh, I also got... What the fuck else was I thinking? I forgot. Metronome? Oh, no, it wasn't a metronome. It was a, uh, oh, I fucking bought this electric guitar. This guy had it for sale. You know, back then you had the, the classifieds in the local paper. Right, right. So, and it was a Char- Charvel Model 1A, and he only wanted like 99 bucks for it. So, there, that goes to show, you know, it wasn't like any kind of real... In in those days, that's like 300 bucks or something. Yeah, probably. <laughs> like these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like a beater. I, yeah, so I got that guitar, and that was the guitar that kind of switched it over. You know, but then I didn't have an amp. So, like, 
I'm looking around the house. What am I going to do for an amplifier? I got nothing. So I took this like old, you know, back then we had the old standalone tape recorders. You uh-huh. know, the speaker on it and everything. And like I noticed there was like these two wires going from the head. And I was like, I don't know what that's all about. All I did was just clip them, disconnected them, and attached them to a quarter-inch cable to my guitar. And boom, I had a fucking Like the amplifier. RCA? <laughs> no. Chords? No, they were like... A red and a black cable going right into the actual head of the tape recorder really? machine. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Yeah, it was totally I weird. would have thought you could just plug a quarter. A lot of those old tape decks had quarter-inch uh, ends in the front of them for some reason, but that didn't. That uh, didn't have it. So you, it so wasn't you like just, a field recorder. It was just like that old, cheapo, you know. Right, right. Old school. Like, I had field recorders later, you know what I mean, that were pretty dope. You mean like the the, the uh, open reel four track or no, what? No, no, no. There's like, you know, the field, field recorders that have like the VU meters on them oh, and shit. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And they have the inputs in them, all kinds of different inputs mm-hmm. on them and everything. You know, they have like XLRs, quarter inch, all that shit. Oh, right, right. Yeah, this, this was just like your basic headphone jack out type mm-hmm. of. You know, and with, like I said, it had the built-in speaker. You know, how big was it? It was only about like uh, oh, about, something like that. Yeah, it was about like this. So you just spliced in. You just cut. You right battery power, dog. I was like, so that was like it's my like the first, first Rockman, like the yeah. t- the Tom Schultz thing, right? Is that and it totally it? worked, dude? The louder you made it, the more distorted it got. <laughs> you know what I'm awesome. saying? So yeah, like, yeah. Cool, crank it up. <laughs> you, you hang it on your belt and walk around. Yeah. Was it? Did you say it was battery power? Yeah, it was yeah, battery that's awesome. powered, man. It was pretty dope. So it worked out. That worked out. I didn't have an amp for a long time. And even when I joined, you know, uh, I joined my first band. Do you remember what they were called? It was called Without Warning. I then changed Sounds the name. Metal. Vicious Wishes. Without Warning. This has nothing to do with Queensryche, right? Were you guys... <laughs> no. I, f- I think it came from a Judas Priest song, I mm. believe, at the time. That's cooler. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Because, man... What? Was it was it kind of, was it kind of metal like that or hard rock? Or? Yeah, unfortunately, I think it was like Turbo Lover. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a keyboard Jewish player Priest. in the band? No, no. <laughs> I no, saw man, them on that it. fucking tour at the Richmond Coliseum. I think I saw Turbo the Turbo tour as well. Yeah, that is that the name dope. of the record? Was it Turbo? I think it was Turbo Lover. Yeah. yeah. Well, they had Turbo. a song called Turbo yeah. Lover. It was just Turbo. I think it was. Yeah. But yeah, mm-hmm. no, I, I went to that one too, man. It was pretty. Pretty awesome. They did some weird hybrid of their their usual look with some like Duran Duran thrown in or something. It got a little more colorful instead of the black. I swear, Neither, they they look so eighties. We were so uh, naive then, you know. And we went. I went to school with these girls. These girls had the typical eighties, right? Right. Mm-hmm. The, the big hair. hair. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> they would come to school in spandex and shit. These mm-hmm. girls, right? Um, they were from the like. I went to a Votech. So the Votech I went to was really cool though because like. I went for graphic arts. They had a retail department. They had a cosmetology department. They had a health occupations department. They also had automotive, auto body. They had auto body, auto mechanics. They had agriculture. The FFA was there. Future wow. Farmers of America were there. Would you say Votech? It was a Votech. Voc- vocational yeah. technical yeah. school? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was badass. And, and that's uh, where you were playing? That's not, were you playing guitar there? Is that, yeah, yeah. That's a school. That's the thing, you know, getting back to my story with uh, Dawn, you know, Dawn got through that thing. My my teacher entered us into the all-county guitar ensemble contest thing, uh-huh. whatever the fuck, you know. And it was like, so this girl Dawn, we had to work out this duet to play. And mind you, I told you, man, my teacher was like a choir teacher. She didn't know anything about guitars. So we're in there chilling. We got some like... 
I was bringing in like the school had you know the cheapo nylon string guitars. I was I had like acoustic guitars, mm-hmm. you know, steel string acoustics in there and electrics in there, you know, and all that shit. So like we were playing like steel string acoustic guitars for this like, <laughs> classical piece <laughs> because we didn't know any better. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? To be honest with you, we're just like, but it sounds better with these. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> And sure enough, we show up to this thing. You know, it was like Saturday afternoon. You got to get dressed up. And we go and we play this thing. And we nail it, man. It's pretty dope, you know. And it sounds cool, like real harpsichord you know what mm-hmm, I mean? Which mm-hmm. is cool, you know. And uh, yeah, But all these other cats from all the other high schools had, like, real guitar teachers, real classical, the way they held the guitars and, like, just yeah. sick pieces. You're like, damn. I mean, just <laughs> playing circles around us. You know right. what I mean? Like, wow. It was pretty impressive, you know. You know, but mind you, though, they I think they had different classes and stuff because we were a duet. You know, uh, they had like, you know, bigger ensembles of guitar play, you know, from different schools that played like North Harvard. They had like a huge guitar thing and they mm-hmm. were all amazing, you know. So like, but anyway, though, my, my teacher, I don't think she was ever more proud because at the end of that, you know, they give me, you know, well, first place in the thing was North Harvard. Okay, we knew that. This other school, we knew that. But they gave us honorable mention. Which was like the first trophy this school had ever gotten, ever. Because <laughs> like they really didn't have a sports department because it was like a Votech, you know. Mm-hmm. So like you know, sports pretty much didn't exist there, right. you know what I mean? But like, but like the one trophy that they're they ever their had, their little guitar the, ensemble, yeah, the honorable mention from the guitar ensemble, and it was like a little you know six inch trophy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Stonehenge. You that know? sounds like community right there, man. <laughs> pretty awesome. She was in tears, though, man. I was, I was ha- very happy for her that day. It was pretty cool. Very so Dawn was playing. You did the duet with her on guitar. Yeah. So yeah. she was playing guitar. Yeah, okay. she was okay. playing guitar. She, like I said, she had learned, you know, through the book pretty quick. Right. That was pretty awesome, man. So yeah, it's pretty different. So without without warning. Without warning. Yeah. Yeah. That led into vicious wishes. Then it led into like disorderly conduct, and then me and those that group of guys you know we just kind of went different ways with things and i met this guy joe and uh he played in a band called sinister fiend back in those days pretty Whoa. badass band yeah. really, really awesome and uh but him and uh bill cook they were like two really sick ass guitar players especially together and um but like they broke up and he was like noodling around so i started jamming with him we had a couple of different bands that was pretty cool and then, you know, you always learn stuff as you go along, you know, playing with better dudes like that mm-hmm. and everything, you know. So, you know, it was pretty cool. And then uh, I think uh, then I started heading down to Baltimore and play. I met this guy, Matt Kalarafis, and this other guy, Ira, that played bass. First time I ever played in a three-piece. We used to, like, go in his garage and shut the door and turn the lights off, have, like, a bottle of Jack and just play, you know, like, in the dark. Mm-hmm. Without really seeing you, you know, but you, you know, like to learn how to see with your ears, kind uh-huh. of a thing. You know what I'm saying? Which is really awesome. That's a good instinct, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. You know, because you don't have like any kind of visual cues to be like, all right, I'm going to do another part now. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? You just kinda, yeah, kind of feel it and you know, you vibe it. Somebody's going to take control, but you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool to branch off. It's. I used to play with my eyes shut for that very reason. Yeah, I think when I was especially on drums. You know, to really just get into it and stop thinking about what it is and and just, uh, you know, get into the language of it, the feel of it, 
Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a whole other universe to explore, if you will. It's pretty cool, you know. Um, so, you know, it was really good times growing up. My parents always, like, you know, they don't realize all the good times I used to have, you know, you know, despite, you know, the troubles I had with my Well, stepdad. what were the troubles? In it? Yeah. it was just stupid, you know, like adolescent shits, you know. Like, like B&E? We uh-huh. No, we were fighting over smoking cigarettes, you know. You fighting know. with your parents over that? Yeah. Uh-huh. But Did then, you, you know, I moved out, lived with my aunt, came back home, and I was like, I'm sorry, I smoke. <laughs> you know what I mean? And at the time, it was like, fuck you, I smoke. You know what I mean? Kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know. And, uh. They didn't want me to smoke. I should have took their advice. You know, I didn't. And I ended up smoking for like 20 years before I finally quit, you know. But uh, still, though, you know, that was really what it was about. You know, the, the, what pissed everybody off or what got everything going, you know. Uh-huh. So, you know. But you weren't the total heli and you weren't like getting in trouble with the law and all that kind of crazy no, stuff. No, like I that. wasn't like that craziness. No. I mean, you know, I was just... You know, before I moved in with my aunt, you know, I was, like, running away. Like, my freshman year of high school was kind of lame because, like, we'd get in these blowout fights, and I'd just leave and peace out. And I'd see, you know, them come out looking for me, but I'd hide in the woods, Mm -hmm. you know. And, you know, and when they would stop looking for me, I'd go to a friend's house and chill out. You know what I mean? Shit like that, you know. Something had to happen. It just, you know, it was driving everybody nuts. Yeah. You know. So how did you, uh, did, what did you do after, uh, what band was this, the, the, after Without Warning, it was, you mentioned another. Oh, uh, let's see, it was, let's see, Without Warning, Vicious Wishes. And, and then, these are all like high school era? Yeah, Disorderly Conduct, high school era. And then, uh, and then Matt Kalaroffis, Ira and I, we did this band called Kick Lizard, that was really cool. That was the one that we used to chill you know, in the dark. Mm-hmm. In the dark. Then that led to Electric Candyland. <laughs> that was really cool because, man, at that time, man, I had a sick ass bass player in that band. Uh-huh. This little kid, man, he went to Calvert Hall, which is like this all boys school. Never been laid, and this guy was high, strung as shit. I mean, like, <laughs> oh my god, bouncing off the walls. His name was Dale, but he was like, he was sick. He could play. He was a big Robert Fripp guy. He was like. If you liked King Crimson, you would love this guy because he mm-hmm. would play with you all day long, you know? You know, if you could sit through it. I mean, then I like King Crimson, <laughs> but it was just like, it, it took a certain kind of mood to want to listen to it. Right, you right. You know what I mean? You know? Right. <laughs> you know? But he was obsessed. <laughs> he huh? was obsessed, yeah. But he would also play Yes, and he was into that thing. He was the like, prog rock thing. Yeah, the uh-huh. prog rock. He could do Primus when nobody could do Primus, mm-hmm. this guy, you know? And uh, the drummer we had then. Uh, he was really awesome. I met this guy, Lee Villar, who was a guitar player for that with me. And then we had two singers. We had a guy that rapped and a guy that sang. And, you know, we did mostly covers that band. But it was cool because we made some money. We played, you know, New Year's Eve a couple of places, you know, a couple of times. You know, made some loot. Are you still living in Havre de Grasse at this no, point? No, then I was, like, living in Bel Air. So, like, I'd moved, you know, I was born in Havre de Grasse, but. Then uh, I grew up pretty much between Edgewood and Aberdeen, Maryland. Is this when you were living with the aunt, or no? Like, oh, after I, your mom. Yeah, like, my mom. Moved we you, started yeah. up like we got up to like middle school in Edgewood, and then you know my parents went and got married, and you know we moved to Aberdeen, which was like you know about ten miles down mm-hmm. the road mm-hmm. or whatever. And uh, 
rivalry, you know, a huge rivalry thing. So, like, I'm, like, basically moved into enemy territory at that mm-hmm. time. You know, you're going from eighth grade to freshman. You know what uh-huh. I mean? That was enemy territory. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, my whole rec life, you know, like, the rec football I played, the rec baseball I played was all Edgewood. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, like, we tear these guys up, you mm-hmm. know? So, like, here I'm moving into the enemy side. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> but, you know, the funny thing was, was that, you know, I actually lived, like, four houses away from the Ripken family. Like they like lived Cal in, Ripken, Ripken, yeah, the Cal uh-huh. Ripken senior, and uh, yeah, they actually lived in a very modest house mm-hmm. in you know Aberdeen, Maryland. Nothing. They had a pool. Mm-hmm. They gave away big candy bars for Halloween, which was always a plus. <laughs> Instead of those lame ass minis, they had the big, the big jank candy <laughs> get bars. Right, the full right? baby root, not the bite size, the full. <laughs> so what did what did you do for? Did you go to college? I tried a couple of times, and uh, you know. I got, I never finished. Was it up there or did you? Yeah, it was uh-huh. all up there. You know. So how'd you end up in, in RVA? I met a girl in Baltimore from here mm-hmm. and she's what got me here. So that's how that did all I? And that was like in 93, I think, is when I first got here. And, uh, you know, even then I was just kind of, I just basically, I went downtown because at the time I was like, I also attended bar, you know, mm-hmm. while I wasn't doing my college spats. And um, I attended bar at a couple of places where, like, man, I was making big bucks, man. I was, like, killing it, crushing it. Back like, in Maryland or yeah, here? Yeah, uh-huh. I was, like, making, like, six, eight hundred bucks a night, mm-hmm. just crushing it. Wow. Yeah, it was stupid. It was great. <clears throat> in the early really 20s making that kind of money. Yeah, man. oh, yeah. Yeah, but these were, like, some... Back then, drinking was different, and the bars were different. I mean, like, these places were... I mean, beyond packed. My mm-hmm. sales were huge. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it definitely warranted it. You know, because mm-hmm. my sales were like, as one bartender of like, one place there was 30 bars. This one other place was only four other bartenders. But mm-hmm. like, I'd still do like anywhere from three to four and a half in sales in a night myself, which is like slinging some serious fucking drinks, man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, not yeah. really. You didn't really have a whole lot of time to talk to people. You weren't, right, right. But you, you weren't screwing around making a whole lot of martinis and stuff, right? It's like no, highballs and opening beers. And, and Yeah, yeah. I mean, shooters out the ass. Like right. 20 at a time. Stupid. You know, just crazy. So when you came down here with the girl and I, she was from here? Yeah, she was yeah. from here. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we moved. I moved to the south side. Her family had a house on the south side. Mm-hmm that um we could live in rent free and uh which was cool so we moved there and um i went down to the bottom then look for a bartending gig and i met this guy brett cassis at the flood zone who hooked me up with a job there you used to work at the flood zone i worked there in 93 to like 95 i think something like that yeah yeah when when dave matthews band played there like every wednesday night every wednesday night right I met your cousin Staples then. He was in love with Denise. I don't know if you ever met Denise. She worked in the uh, office back then. And uh, long, blonde-haired girl. Very pretty girl. Very awesome chick, by the way. I wonder if it's the same Denise that used to live on Carey. She lived on Carey Street over like New Bill Daniels. I only knew one Denise back back then. Did she look kind of like Marsha Brady? Uh, well, maybe a little bit. Yeah. She, she was a little skinny thing, you know. But you met Staples, and I can't. When did you and I first meet? Was it like late? I guess it was late nineties when I came back yeah. from New York. It's like, yeah, yeah, it was like 90. punchline days. Yeah, maybe you were in Channel Forty Three by then, right? Yeah, yep. Was that your first Richmond band? 
No, because Shub and I played in uh, that band, oh, right. Serotonin, beforehand. So, yeah, I came down in 93, and then for like a couple of years, I didn't play at all in any bands. I just kind of did my Worked own thing. Worked at Flood Zone and hung out with your girl. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I was I was jamming and writing tunes then, and she, uh, for Christmas that year, gave me a four-track tape recorder, which was like a big deal then. Yeah, You know yeah. what I mean? So I was like, cool. So I was making these tapes, you know, writing these tunes. And uh, then, you know, I used to... You know, go into the you know music store to buy strings and stuff like that. And I met Shub. He worked there at Don Warner Music then, and uh, he told me he's like, you know, I'm a drummer. I was like, oh no, I didn't. I was like, you know, by the way, I got this tape. You know, you think maybe you might want to play some drums to some of this. You know what I mean? And so I gave him a copy of my stuff, and he was like, dude, you should totally join our band. And I was like, really? And this was Serotonin. And this is Serotonin. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that's how that was. He going to U of R or something like that? He or? just graduated U of R. I think yeah. in '94. Yeah, and he played in a different band. There was some other dude I remember that was friends with him and also was friends with my friend Jason. I can't remember who he was. He was like Jim, Jimmy's roommate at U of R or something. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good... You know, he's he was a part of that... He was a part of some fraternity out there, you know, mm-hmm. like... So, like, Rudy... Can't picture him at uh, U of R. Yeah, yeah. Well, he he grew up in Long Island. Yeah, you know? Ooh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, and his dad. Right. A lot of the people that go to U of R either from New Jersey or <laughs> New York. New York. Yeah. I swear to God. I yeah. Know. Yeah. <laughs> so true, man. <laughs> I guess they have a good. They can't get into the Ivy League schools up there. They can't go to U of R. It's like the second tier Ivy League. Something, thing. I guess. I don't know. You know. I mean, I don't. I don't know. But yeah. I mean, is, where does U of R rank next to UVA? I think it's. I don't know. I think it's kind of equal, but like. Uh, you know, I, I don't even know why I just said that. That was something that other people used to say. I have no fucking clue. I just remember that a lot of people came yeah. down from New York and New Jersey. And, they, and pe- these were people that had maybe tried to go to Princeton or something like that. And, really? Yeah, which is, I guess, an Ivy League school. But yeah. you just toss those things out without really thinking about them. Um, but anyway, you met yeah. J- Jimmy at, at Don Warner, and he yeah. jo- you joined Serotonin. And how long? Ago? We were in that band for probably maybe a couple of years. And then, uh, seeing at that time, it was kind of a it was kind of a strange time at the time because the girl that I moved here with, we were breaking up, mm-hmm. and it was it was definitely not a good breakup, and uh, and it was like up to that point. Well, it was the only girlfriend I ever lived with in a place, mm-hmm. you know, like I, girlfriends I had. I had a girlfriend all through high school, and like yeah, I'd stay over at her parents' house, you know, of course. You know, her dad would make me sleep out on the porch, but no big deal. <laughs> you know, she would stay at my house. You know, my parents right. would always make her sleep in the living room or somewhere. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, but like it wasn't like uh, actually living with a girl, you know, but I lived with this girl. And um, so the breakup was bad and it was it was crazy. It was just a lot it's of just shit. It's like even when even if you're not getting along, when you've been living with somebody like that. It's like never easy to get over it because you just get so fucking used to having somebody around all the time. You got to think about and it was very strange, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm I can, I'm very lucky to have met Shub then because like I was literally I had a pickup truck at the time and I was I was had what stuff I could pack up in it and I was heading home. Mm-hmm. You know, I was heading back north. I was like, you know, I needed to regroup and whatnot. And I don't know why, but I just stopped at like a mini storage place in Ashland mm-hmm. and I 
put all my shit in there and I came back to Richmond because I, I did have a job. You know, I had a couple of jobs at the time. Mm-hmm. So I did have money. You know, so I had resources. You know, I just didn't have nowhere to live. Mm-hmm. So I literally lived in my truck for like a month before Shub and I, you know, uh, Shub actually talked his then girlfriend, Rebecca Wild, into letting me sleep on her couch while he slept with her in her room, obviously. Uh-huh. But, you know, you know, because uh, of uh, Shub's living situation wasn't very good at the time either. So he'd just stay over there at her, her house with her. And then, uh, you know, here I am, homeless. And so she lets me sleep on her couch uh-huh. for like a month. Basically, it took about me and two months, about a month, you know, of, of chilling on Rebecca's couch for a little while that we got enough money up to get the house up on Elwood, 3160. I remember that place. That was on Elwood? Yeah. Okay. On the corner of Elwood. That's the place you had the studio in the yeah. basement? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, once that was a thing, though, you know, because, like, you know, we got that place, and then now, you know, I could move, you know, I could get stuff. Because I, I was, I didn't have a bed, I didn't have a dresser, I didn't have mm. anything anymore, you know, none of that shit. Because you're stacking chips, I bet. Yeah. Saving up a lot of money, huh? Oh, yeah, totally, you know. So, you know, it was it was a good place to get, you know, everything kind of restarted. And, and it was at that time that Shub and I quit, uh, serotonin. quit serotonin, mm-hmm. and we started... What became Channel Forty Three started with Matt Nagel. Started with Shub and Matt Nagel because they worked on the food carts downtown together. Oh yeah, and uh, and so they started jamming, and they were like, "Hey, maybe you should come jam with us." So then I came and jammed. Then we started looking for a bass player. Matt knew Mike Dixon, who is our bass player to this day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and he got Mike in, and then you know, I guess we were with uh, Matt as Channel Forty Three. We played our first show at. Uh, the Diablo Room and Banditos. Oh yeah, yeah, man. Like uh, with Eric's band when Banditos was on Carrie. Yeah, right. When Banditos mm-hmm. was on Carrie, and then I think we played our second show there with like uh, Submerge. Mm-hmm. You know? Really? Yeah, with Justin JB, mm-hmm. which is really cool. I always liked. I've always liked Submerge. What was the deal with that house anyway? I remember coming over there. Or- with a girl I was dating at the time, I don't remember how the hell we ended up there. We like some, we were all partying, and we ended up back at your house. And you had a, like an actual, like stu- almost like a real recording studio in your yeah. basement, like soundproofed and all that shit. Who the fuck built that? You guys, we did, you did, yeah, we totally built it based yeah. on what parameters? Like you just rocked just, it. Yeah, I guess Jimmy had been working in a music store and, and had some idea. He'd been working on the music store. The thing was, was like Mike Dixon. You know, he was like. He was, at the time, he bought the ADATs. Mm-hmm. Um, Shu bought the board. And uh, really, I didn't buy shit. I didn't have any money for any of that. They <laughs> 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 got pitched in on the uh, NS10s that we have. Good thing, some of the things we had, you know, then are pretty lucky that we have now. The ADATs, maybe not. The NS10s, definitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what uh-huh. I'm saying? <laughs> you know? But um, yeah, and at the time, Mike worked at. I guess it was then Mars music. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So he got the employee discounts. So everything was super cheap, you know. So, um, but yeah, he bought a lot of that stuff then. And uh, yeah, we just basically, you know, took what Mike packages we could put together, borrowing mics from friends and shit. And that's when, like, you know, dudes were doing that. Like, uh, I think Submerge was down on Lombardi at the time recording in their basement, but they, mm-hmm. they, they linked and synced up two of those rolling mm-hmm. uh DS eight eighties, I think they are, or whatever you know, those two digital things. Mm-hmm, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? 
that's how they did their things. And uh, we did the ADAT route, which was cool because, like, the first record, we only had one ADAT, so it was only eight channels, and it was rough. You know, we mm-hmm. did the mix. We didn't know anything about mixing or any of that stuff, you know. The songs were good, but the, the quality of the everything else was terrible, mm-hmm. you know. And then the second record was a little better. We got the second ADAT. We had 16 tracks, and we had a different, from the experience of the first one, we had a different outlook on things. We just took the ADATs and the tapes to Mark Miley and mm-hmm. his big fat Amex Studio 51 what, console. What was that place called, Mark? Where was it? Oh, Not Glass Hand, was it? No. No, it was, uh, no, it wasn't Glass Hand because it was down in Chaco Bottom at the time. Yeah. Uh, not in your ear. No, not. What the hell was it? <laughs> I remember it, though. That I remember that guy. I think he might have mastered the Devil Tones, the, fir- the first Devil Tones EP. He might he did, have. Maybe. He had like one of the sweeter boards in Richmond, mm-hmm. you know. So, and our idea was like, well, maybe if we just pipe our tunes through that board mm-hmm. to the mixed mm-hmm. CD, and it really did a, a huge difference. Yeah, night and day. Because you had had enough sense to record all like the drums on different yeah, tracks. We, yeah, and we tracked those. everything, right, right. you know, at our studio. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So you had it separated, and you could then write, right? So we let him mix it, and the whole nine, and it came out really good. And then, what was uh, that record called? That one was called 3160. <laughs> <laughs> Make it real simple. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't think I used to have a copy of that, I think. I either got through Punchline or something, but I don't know where it is now. It's up on Too many moves. Yeah. And uh, you know, I should have brought you some. I have that. Hey, what's up cards. with that? Okay. I do. Um, but uh, so, how long was you, you're back in Channel Forty Three now? But did you ever like? Do you guys ever just stop altogether? Or is it, we have no? never stopped. So you've been making records all this time, and <coughs> we just finally put out a new record. Um, but it's a record that we did. Like we did, we started it in '06. We finished it sometime late '07, and then, uh, and then, um, and then. We just were all mad at each other, so we didn't do anything. We, At the time, Boogie B was playing bass with us because mm-hmm. Mike Dixon quit the band to go to college. And he went to school and became a big computer guy, you mm-hmm. know. But um, And during that time, during those you know, four years and then I guess another fifth year, he went on to do some post-grad thing. But uh, during that time, we had, we had a couple of bass players. We had John Bone for like a year. And then after John Bone, we had Brian Knight, who mm-hmm. used to play with B.O.B. and Elbow Drop. And uh, he used to play for the Ernie's way back in the day, too. And a uh, pretty sick-ass bass mm-hmm. player. And so we got Boogie B is what we call him. So we, you know, Boogie B. So Brian Knight is Boogie B? Brian okay. Knight is Boogie B. I'm putting it all together now. <laughs> Boogie B rolled up into the mix. And, uh, you know, we we rocked with him for like, for about five years, I guess. And then... Uh, the 2006 is around when you were in the Devil Tones, too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. You know, I guess uh, that's right. We I'd seen, I'd met Randy and uh, Ricky back in the day, and we were all at Wonderland one night, and they were just bummed. They were like, man, fuck it. I guess that's it. You know, I was like, what's the problem? They are like, we just can't find a fucking guitar player. I was like, At that point, who had, like, quit then? I, I guess it doesn't really matter, but. <laughs> I think it was either Brent or Tad. Yeah, Tad, I guess it was, it was Tad, I guess, maybe. Tab, Tad with and a B. Todd. 
Well, it was okay. It started with me, and then it was me and Todd, and then Todd quit, and I invited Tab to be in the band, and it was me and Tab, and then it was just Tab, and uh, then I guess maybe they brought in Brent, but then there was Demon Boy in there at some point too. That guy from L.A. Uh, okay. He was like Texas Terry's guitar player. And then, you well, you came in there at some point. You were the only guitar player when you were in the band, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so both, uh, yeah, after Tab and Brent, I guess. Yeah. But you weren't the last one, were I you? I think I was. Oh, yeah. wow. The very last one. Yeah. Yeah. Did you record with them? We did some demos, you know, at the space, you know, at the rehearsal space. You know, we... uh we went from ADATs to Pro Tools, you know, so we had, a, you know, back then, even now, we still use that shit. We mm-hmm. just record demos, try to work out the bugs. So we were, we recorded a bunch of demos back then. Mm-hmm. It's on some hard drive somewhere. You wrote, did you write songs with the Devil Tones? A couple. Wow. You know, not, maybe about three, I think, in about, I guess I played for them for maybe about a year, two years, maybe. I was with them for three years, and we probably wrote. Four songs yeah. in that time period. Yeah. We were doing. We had this set that we there was like old Devil Tone songs and old uh, Irritation songs that we just kept playing. One one apparently song. wasn't really about writing songs. <laughs> well, I mean, it was you know we were just we we played like drinking some, beer. Like, yeah, we were played some like uh, hot rod show in South Carolina one mm-hmm. time, and Randy and I were out in the van getting drunk as shit, and a song came to us bulletproof. I think. <laughs> Uh-huh. And you know, and that was like how like if any any of the new songs that ever came along was usually in that context. It was like we'd be all fucked up and be like, Yeah, what about this? This would be awesome. <laughs> Fucking, you know what I mean? And then we remember it and be like, Remember I told you I'd remember that. <laughs> that band was so much about drinking. That was like it was just like a context for drinking. Yeah. I mean, we had a keg. I mean, Ricky would sell you your own fucking clothes. <laughs> You'd be wearing your shirt, and he could sell it you back to you. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he just was like that dude. He was not afraid to ask for a buck. Randy too. You know, I love them both to death, man. They're awesome guys, man. I mean, They're a couple of hustlers. They inspired sure. me yeah, though. Yeah. You know, they they inspired me to like know that it was okay to be like. You know, my shit's my shit, and it's worth some money, and yeah. I'll take even $2, Yeah, but you're going to give me something. You yeah. Know? And, uh, you know, God, I got to play Maxwell's in Hoboken with those guys. It was a good time, man. That's true. Like, if I, I, mean, if I had been in that band, those guys, they got me to do a lot of shit I wouldn't have done. I would have been like a lot of dudes in this town at that point that was just like, yeah, maybe. I don't feel it. I'm not yeah. going out of town. Randy would come over and be like, you're practicing. You're going. You're going to do it right now. Get up, you know, like <laughs> I mean, it was like fucking basic training of rock and roll. Yeah. Like the two of them, you know, love that playing guy, bullshit. I, that was honestly yeah. this is like the best thing about being in that band to me was like, um, you know, just letting them like let Ryan and Randy's like fucking will. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we went to fucking we went to Vegas in Fort Collins, Colorado. We played Vegas like twice, maybe. That's no, awesome. just one time. That's right. Anyway. Yeah. That was, so you were in the Devil Tones around the time that um, Channel Forty Three was having a hiatus because you guys were no, you were, we were no? still practicing. Man. Oh, yeah. We were still at the time. We were still working on on uh, on fall, uh, Cold Day in Purgatory at the time, as which the is the one record. that you just put. Yeah, we right. just put out. And then uh, because like you know we were doing it with uh, Justin Bailey he used to play with Submerge. Now he. Uh, started working for this new studio in town that used to be Montana studio right around the corner. Uh, back then still to this day called black Iris. They were small then. And, uh, 
they had just got a Pro Tools rig, and Justin didn't really know how to do it. And he's like, look, I'll record oh, you guys. Oh, this is Justin, the Caitlin, Justin. Yeah. Oh. He's like, I'll record you guys Fuck. if you let me, you know, be a guinea pig for <laughs> this thing mm-hmm. and stuff. And and uh, it was, like, totally cool. You know, we got to talking about it. And, you know, thing is that Justin got really good at Pro Tools really fast. Yeah. So he was like, he was ready to get this project done, mm-hmm. and we just drug it out forever because... You know, at the time, we weren't all necessarily getting along, but, like, we were still just kind of doing our thing. And, you know, but it was like never did we ever actually stop, you know, rehearsing or recording through those times. It was just we were procrastinating, Uh you know. And it took a long time to make that record. And it took a long time for that record to grow on me, too, you know, because, like, there was, you know, it was just stupid issues. You weren't feeling it. Wasn't feeling it for a while. You know, I guess that's why it took a while to Mm -hmm. put it out. But then, you know. Well, there's also you... Going off and being a guitar tech. Right. And then that happened. When did that start? That started in 07, you know. Right around then. Yeah. It was like right after we got done with that, you know. Who were you teching for at that point? The first band. The first guy I ever teched for was like Mark Avery, poor guy. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. What, what, River City High? Yeah, mm-hmm. but it was the uh, Inquisition reunion shows oh, at okay. Alley Cats. And, uh, and we got to play. The first night, it was like us, the draft, and Inquisition, mm-hmm. you know. And then the next night, it was, uh, I can't remember, Larry Floyd's band and some other band in the middle, you know. What was that band? Larry F. and Floyd. Yeah, right? Larry what the hell Floyd. was that boy band called? I can't remember the name of his band back then. Oh, well. let's. It's on I one of the flyers, mm-hmm. posters, that, you know, whatever. So you were so teching anyway, for Avery? Mm-hmm. I never teched for anybody before. Poor guy. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> so like he just was like, he was like, look, man, just, you know, because these guys are going to have texts and stuff. Just, just hand me a guitar. And I was like, totally cool, man. No worries, right? So, like, show's going off. Inquisition's awesome. Steady stream of stage diving and everything else. And I'm tucked up over in this corner. It's Alley Cats. It's kind of hard to be anywhere there. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I'm over by the bathroom, right, that right, thing. You know, over there, and uh, there's this one acoustic song on the set, and it was like this weird acoustic guitar that had like the holes in the soundboard and uh-huh. the strings fanned out to it. Uh-huh. It looked pretty. I don't know how well it sounded, but um, thing was with that there was no screw on the input jack where you plug the the acoustic guitar in. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the end piece, there was no screws. So basically, I, t- I, I didn't know this. So right. I, you plugged I, it in like normal. I go to plug <laughs> it in like normal, and it doesn't plug in. It just pushes the jack into the guitar. Nice. And now I'm like, fuck. How am I going to get this thing out? You know, now it's in the guitar. This guitar is not working. There's no other option. <laughs> he doesn't know it yet. <laughs> he's up there rocking out. You know, Mark Avery's an awesome rock star, man. Let me tell you. And he's doing his thing, which is awesome. But there's a problem. And so, like, the only way to get it is, like, I have to undo the strings to get my fucking arm in there <laughs> to find it, try to push it to the end, plug it in, make sure it's plugged in, tune it all back up and hand it off to him all within, like, fucking two minutes. That sounds like good guitar tacking to me. Yeah, no, it just... It, it, he had the guitar I, he needed when the time came. It didn't. And it was it none did, the wiser. It didn't quite work out that oh, well. Oh, it didn't? No. Oh. It, I, got the, I got the jack in. And I had the guitar to tension. It just wasn't. 
anywhere near being tuned. <laughs> it was it was it was like it was tuning, but the way those strings were on the thing, it's just like once you got it in the tune, you'd have to come back. You know, you'd have to go down and then back up, down and back up, down and back, get everything mm-hmm, mm-hmm. back up to you know this level of tuning, you know, or whatever. Which I knew nothing about then, you know, at the time. I got to be honest, and uh, and so like a hand in he, he he took the guitar. Plugged in, he hit it. It's bad. He just looks at me like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> the only thing I had to do all night, and it was total, total crash. <laughs> I was like, "Damn, I'm sorry, man." And the whole rest of the night, you know, I just felt terrible about it. Poor guy. And uh, but that was the first time. And then, and then I, I guess it was like maybe about a year after that. Uh, maybe not. Maybe it was more like that. Was like May, and it was like September. That I started with Jack's mannequin because, you know, uh, Bob Anderson used to live with us. Mm-hmm. Bob Anderson elbow played elbow drop. Bob, yeah, yeah, an elbow drop. He played in River City High for oh, right, four right. or five years, and then uh, and then him and Jay left River City High, started Bike Lock, and then they made Bob made the jump to go join something corporate. And then something corporate. Andrew, Were they living in L.A. already when that happened? No, no, he was still living here in Richmond. We lived over top of the pub, you know, in Patrick yeah, Henry. Yeah, yeah, Then in up in the attic apartment at mm-hmm. that time because Shub lived up underneath of us. And James uh, lived up there too, right? Or was that after you guys? That was that was a while later. Oh, okay. James moved in, but um, originally, like <clears throat> the Patrick Henry was owned by Shub's. Shub worked for this company, Incredible Edibles. Mm-hmm. This guy Steve King owned the building. Oh and, really? Yeah. And uh, did they use that as their kitchen for like catering and stuff? They but they did. didn't have an actual yeah, restaurant would, there. Yeah, right? no. And they would use it for like weddings and shit right, like right. that. You know, like back they had in those that garden days. back there. Yep. So, and that's <clears> what that place always was to me, man. Like when I first walked into that pub way back in the day, there used to be like bun trays. <laughs> it was like uh-huh. nothing like it is now. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Spider webs and shit. It was just dirty, nasty, dusty, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, you could see It's still pretty dirty and nasty. Well, I mean. yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. why we love about it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Steve King, we had the, unfortunately, Bob Richmond, the guy that owned the house, 3160, you know, we were there for like eight years and uh, he didn't want to renew our lease. And, um, you know, so we had to move. And I think it was because he was just interested in selling the house and mm-hmm. he sold the house, you know. But with your studio <clears throat> in the basement, no, he made us take it down. Oh, really? Yeah. Damn. He said you got to put everything back the way it was. So wow. And we did. We tore everything down and made it all back to the bare concrete brick wall shithole it was mm. before we we did what we did to it. So when you guys were all living in that building, Bob started playing. Well, they, I know the River City High knew the something corporate guys or something like that, and that's how Bob met them. Is yeah. That right? yeah, yeah, they did a warp tour together. River City High did, and something corporate was on that tour, and uh, they all became friends on that tour. And I can even remember that's when I first met Andrew uh, was that summer down. I guess it was at Hampton Coliseum. Mm-hmm. They had the warp tour there then. And, uh, you know, we were there and uh, with Bob and Jay and some of the River City High guys, and we went backstage, and and um, we got the drink on the Something Corporate bus back then, and I think I met Andrew for the first time then. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't see him. I meet him again until, like, <clears throat> like I said, like, 06, maybe, 07, you know. And then uh, that's when, you know, Bob first, when he first joined, he worked at the pub, you know. He was doing his thing. He was trying to get Bike Lock together. And then um, he recorded a bunch of demos of Bike Lock stuff, you know, then. And, uh, you know, out of nowhere, 
I guess, uh, what's his name? Will Tell quit something corporate. And Andrew remembered Bob, mm-hmm. tall, skinny guy. Will Tell was a tall, skinny guy. That was the first thing. Oh, did. right. Yeah. So he calls up Bob. And, and, and to Bob's credit, you know, he called up a bunch of dudes, you know. And, and you know, they had money so they could fly you out, mm-hmm. audition you, put you up in a hotel and send you right back, you know. Mm-hmm. Pay for everything so you don't have nothing to complain about, you know. And um, so he did. He went out and auditioned. They sent him like two or three CDs, maybe two CDs they had at the time. And... um and they told him what songs to learn. So he learned the songs. And Bob's a really good guitar player. And uh, so he went out, got the gig, <clears throat> went and did a tour with them in the Offspring in Australia, came back, and Andrew's like, I'm starting this new solo project, you know, with Jack's Mannequin, you know, do you want to be a part of it? And uh, at the time, Jay was actually drum teching for Brian Ireland. Mm-hmm. You know, and so like, uh, who's Brian Ireland? Brian Ireland's a drummer of something corporate. Oh, okay. And so like, you know, Bob was like, "Yeah, I want to be down with it." I was like, "You should check out my boy Jay on drums." So Andrew was like, "Cool, you're drumming." <laughs> you know, and and then and then they had uh, at the time Jim Wirt, mm-hmm. their producer, was the bass player, and they had another guitar player, a guy named Jacques. I can't remember Jacques' last name, but like, uh, they needed a bass player. They were talking about bass players. Jay said something to Dr. J. Dr. J freaked out. You know, was like, got to get me this gig, man. You got to get me this gig. Talking about Jonathan Sullivan? Oh, yeah, yeah. Got to get me this gig. Got to get me this gig. (laughs) So they got him out there. And, you know, Dr. J being the slayer that he is, slayed it. And there you go. The band band essentially was from Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. You know what I mean? The entire band. The whole entire band. Except for? Except for Andrew. Yeah. Who was like, you know, the guy. I remember seeing him on some... Night, you know, talk show like Jimmy Fallon or something like that. And I'm like, it's all Richmond guys. All Richmond guys, yeah. Yeah, and that's how the thing... And and then, you know, at the time, Andrew had a a tech that, you know, uh, was like a a tech through all the something corporate years. This guy, Adam O'Toole. Mm -hmm. And O'Toole was with them all the way up through their first tour, first major... I guess support tour with Panic at the Disco when mm-hmm. the first round with Panic at the Disco when they were big, and uh, and um, uh, after that O'Toole quit and went on to work for Panic at the Disco, and uh, I guess you know for more money or whatever the mm-hmm. case you know whatever, and um, that had the opening and, and even through that time Bob he would ask me he's like dude would you ever I know you're a guitar player I know you do your thing but like would you ever want to be my tech I was like. I could, you know, you can make some money, you know, like doing some things, you know, we can go chill and tour yeah. and first class, son, you know, like that kind of thing, you know, I was like, hell yeah, you know, I told him, at the time I was tending bar at the pub and mm-hmm. <clears throat> I could just feel it eating at my soul, I just needed to get out of there, you know what yeah. I mean, and just yeah. out of that routine of, you know, fucking drinking and drugs. You were running that place, weren't you, acapella? For, when it was acapella, you well, were yeah, sort of... When it was acapella, yeah, man. I mean, uh, I, d- I wasn't bartending as much then. You know, I was pretty but much... But 2 a.m. was an early night at that place. Like, it kind of yeah. went on and on because oh, you lived yeah. upstairs and... Yeah. 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 I was there many times for that. I know. So, like, you know <laughs> what I mean? I mean, you know... It you got to get out of there. Yeah. Had to get out of it, man. Had to get out. And, uh, you know, and that's what I would always tell Bob. I'm like, please save my liver, son. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Help me. You know? And the opening happened. And he was like, all right, dude. Well, look, in about an hour, tour manager's going to give you a call. Sure enough, Casper, 
the then tour manager um, called me up and he was like, "Well, Bob sounds like you're you know is telling us you're the guy." So, you know, I think they started me out at like seven hundred a week, and before then, when I was uh, the uh, the the manager of acapella mm-hmm. my salary was 450 a week and i was happy mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i was like man yeah. i'm making money man <laughs> yeah because well, you were making tips on top of that bartending weren't no, you no i wasn't tending bar then, then oh. i had like john major tending bar i had oh yeah cleo i had cleo tending bar i had actually cleo was a waitress then i had like john major john bone cindy sin i think that was Is that Cin- cindy that's married to randy yeah oh yeah yeah man and barbara was up there Barbara on yeah. Wednesdays, yeah, yeah, we had a. That was when that, you guys kicked it off in that place. So that was like my favorite bar for a long time. There, like, just could come up. You'd let me DJ. Yeah, you plug in my iPod. We would just, it would just, yeah, good times. Mm-hmm. I have no regrets. Yeah, yeah, you know, really good times. But going out on the road, you're touring not just the country, but Europe, and you're going to Japan yeah, and shit well, like that. I mean, I didn't make it to Japan or Australia with anyone yet, but like, uh, which is okay. You know, um, it's all budget crazy everything Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying um but you know yeah so like you know went started with jacks then and then uh and then when jacks would like finish a record cycle they do these tours you know on on that first year you know we did that then we went out and did uh a warp like 21 dates on the warp tour we did a tour at paramore that year you know and then the next year we did a tour with the fray and the tour with weezer and you know like we were doing all these big tours you know wow. which was cool and then um we uh and then in between headlining tours of big like theater places mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. irving i Plaza, think i saw you guys like at what was it first ave headlining first ave, yeah. and you had just not that long before that played at target center with yeah somebody else with the fray with the fray yeah, yeah. yep sure did yeah, and we'd sell out first half. Well, how was that? Sell out two nights in a row. How was that life, you know, I mean, for your liver, you know? I mean, you're like... <laughs> you know, true. I know you would wonder, right? Right. You know, but actually, it was quite... It wasn't quite as crazy as you would think, you know? I mean, because like... Yeah, man. I mean, it was a drinking crew on yeah. that bus, man. I mean, you came out on the bus. I came then. on the bus and I you didn't guys know that pulled you were... out a couple of drawers and there's fucking Jaeger and beers and all that. I mean, there's a Jaegerator in the front. You didn't lounge. know I was sober, right? You know, yeah. and you were like, this is, yeah, Curse is going to love this. <laughs> I was like, get me out of here. I, I had no idea. You know, it's kind of funny, you know, but whatever, though, you know. Uh, but no, you know, I mean, for me, like, you know, yeah, you know, at those times, you know, you're right. It's kind of funny to save my liver thing, you know, but, you know, there, there were plenty of nights, you know, that, you know, I would sit out. You'd just be tired because yeah. like, I didn't get to, you know, you learn quick, you know, I mean, if you want to do this kind of thing, you know, it's like, and for me, I I was always okay with like, you know, assuming the role of a guitar attack. Do you know mm-hmm, what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, I know I play. I know I do my thing. But like, this is what I'm being paid to do here. So I don't even think about it. it never... Never, there was, you know, somebody was like, man, doesn't it like hurt your pride? I'm like, hell no. It's like, it have not, has nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do with getting paid some loot. You know, I got yeah. to save some money and, and I got to have a job that I enjoy doing. In fact, Plus, you get to party just like you're anybody else in the band, right? Well, you can, but like, you know, the thing is. When that, I, what I mean is they don't treat you like a second class right, citizen. No, you know, not right? at all. You know, you get with, with Andrew. Now, other artists are different things, you know, yeah. but like. With Andrew, it's he's on the bus with you. You know, mm-hmm. he's if he's doing it, you're doing it. We're doing it. It's fun. You know, yeah. Like there's none none of this. You know, 
we're the band, you're the crew kind right, of thing. Right. Some some acts are like that. I've worked for some acts like mm-hmm. that, but like this 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 is just one big Who who have you worked for that was like that? The Fray. They yeah. were like that, you know. Even though they're very nice guys, mm-hmm. but they're the band, you're the crew. You right. Know? You know. Some of the bigger acts that can afford their own buses, you know, so you have multi bus tours, mm-hmm. you know, you'll have a crew bus, you know, they're on their own schedule. Yeah. You know, you might see them at Soundcheck. You might not. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like the deep hangs that you have mm-hmm. when you're all on the same bus. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, with everybody at some point or another. You know what I'm saying? Over the course of six weeks or seven weeks, you know, you know, whatever the case, man. You know, and, and man, you know, through that gig, I get to meet and work for a lot of cool cats that led to bigger gigs. So, like, you know, um, I did those gigs and then they did the 10-year-something uh, corporate reunion tour with... And then Bob played that. <clears throat> so I went out on that. And at that time, I was getting good at teching the piano. So I was doing the piano and Bob. So mm-hmm. I was doing Andrew and Bob. And, like, Andrew and I have always been very cool, you know, super mm-hmm. awesome guy. And even back then, you know, he had a short fuse, short temper. You know, he he would get mad quick. You know, he, I'd see him get mad at other guys that would work for him before. And even Bob was always like, man. He's like, you might want to, you might want to step back a little bit, you know, just trying to warn me. He's like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to get too involved because, you know, he'll snap and then that'll be that. And I was mm-hmm. just like, yeah, true. But, you know, I always thought I was like, man, I can handle this. This is no big deal. I mm-hmm. mean, really, you know, so like I did and I'm glad I did because like, you know, I pretty much did handle it. You know what I mean? Like all the troubles that he was having all went away. Mm-hmm. You know? Occasional hiccups here and there. Obviously, shit's going to break. You know what I mean? You can never tell when. Right. And unfortunately for us, it's always in the middle of the set. Right. <laughs> you know what I right. mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, it's just, you know, knowing how to, uh, I'd say 90% of my job is communication. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Bigger than, you know, actually knowing what to do. Because mm-hmm. even if you don't know what to do, lie. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Buy some time. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I got to take the this The show apart. must just go kinda, on. You know, you know what I'm saying? Right. Just kind of look. Let me I'll find something. You know what I mean? <laughs> I hope. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, just start it with the basics. You know, does anything look funny? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, just on down. But you know, always you get the one thing you can never say is I don't know. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, and um, so you know, and so like I was able to win. You know, the times that we had issues like that, and I was always and lucky for me, knock on wood, I was able to remedy the situation put everything back together and get the show back on mm-hmm. and so then you know from years of working with him then they did the something corporate reunion tour we had some other people like on the crew up to that point i worked with this guy uh timothy mark quake you know and he's like been production manager for some huge acts ranging from like he was the first production manager of the very first jane's addiction uh tour and Lollapalooza. he did like toad the wet sprocket he did you know his his resume was huge, man, and still is. I mean, he's done the cars. He's done. He's been doing it since the eighties. He's like this old Mister Miyagi guy, you know, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool because, like, here I am fresh, and I get to work with a guy that's been doing it for you know forty years. You know what I'm saying? It's, right. You know, so like I got to learn from this guy, mm-hmm. you know, which is really cool, you know. And some of the other guys that 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 you know came with Andrew that had that kind of experience. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, it's just like the way you learn guitar, man. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and so like with that, you know, we did that something corporate tour. We had different guys uh, because they, you know, uh, Quake and those guys didn't make that tour. So these other guys that we had by the end of that tour, I was talking about going out with CeeLo Green for mm-hmm. the Lady Killer tour. Wow. You know, and like bouncing in and out of Europe for like a whole year. 
which was great. You know what a so great you did great do that. Yeah, you I did. Wow. I was and and then I was a stage manager. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. For CeeLo Green. For CeeLo Green. Stage manager. Stage manager. Damn. Yeah. You know. How was he to hang out with? He was great. Yeah. He's fucking awesome, man. So much fun, man. I get to do some great, great stuff with that guy. Like, we did the Brit Awards at the O2 Arena. He won Best International Male. We got to take a 50-foot yacht up the River Thames up to private Warner Brothers industry wow, party in the damn. middle of London. I mean, I got to see the – I got to meet the guys from Snatch, <laughs> you know? The guy from fucking uh, – uh, uh, what was that – show in baltimore the cop show oh the wire the wire uh-huh got to meet that guy what what uh mcnulty that guy the tall black guy he's oh guy, idris elba he's, yeah that yeah, guy. yeah 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 wow yeah from pretty cool he's got his own show you know yeah i heard you know luther yeah he came to a couple of shows we did in wow, london really yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Did. this is CeeLo green right yeah i was for a minute there i was thinking oh he likes something corporate like well, i got it now okay and then uh, when the uh, promotional tour ended with that, you know, I came back to work for Andrew. It just happened to be that whole CeeLo Green thing happened while he mm-hmm. was writing the next Jack's Mannequin record. So that whole year that I did CeeLo Green. What was that? Out, like, it was, uh, it was uh, couple 2010 years? into uh-huh. 2011. Maybe it was 2011 into 2012. No, it was 2010 into 2011. Okay. Because, uh, yeah. So, you know. So are you, do you still get those gigs? Yeah. I mean, after that. Because you know, Jack's Mannequin's done now, right? They are. And uh, I finished out the last Jack's Mannequin tour because we started another record cycle um, after that with, uh, who did I go to work for? Actually, that was the Glass Passenger record cycle. And then I did the CeeLo Green thing and then came back and we started the uh, the last Jack's Mannequin record cycle. And that was about a two two-year cycle. And at the end of it, maybe it was only about a year. Maybe, maybe it was a two-year cycle. But at the end of it, we did, right at the like last month of it, and this was like trailing to the end of Jack's Mannequin shows, mm-hmm. you know. <clears throat> and it was kind of funny because I thought it was the end, but then it wasn't because we ended up doing a couple of other shows after that. But, um, you know, the end of the Jack's Mannequin thing. And um, uh, we did a show with The Fray. We did a tour with The Fray, and I worked for Jack's Mannequin. Mm-hmm. And then when... Uh, at the end of Jack's Vatican, you know, tour, you know, years later, because we did a tour with the Fray back in like 08, I guess, 07, 08, something like that, somewhere. That Yeah, that was when you, f- the first time you came through Twin yeah. Cities, yeah. Yeah. Oh, nine. Like mm-hmm. Target place. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so then, uh, so uh, my friend Adrian, who used to work for us, worked for the Fray. We, we all had this show. This is one show that we did with the Fray, you know, at the end of the Jack's Mannequin thing in Erie, Pennsylvania. And uh, Adrian was like, yo, man, this guy Josh, stage right, guitar tech guy, he's leaving to go work for Justin Bieber. You know, do you want me to put a name in the hat for you? I was like, sure, whatever, you know. And uh, the Fray's production manager is this guy, Howard Hopkins, who I'd met when we did that Fray tour, you know, a couple of years before. Howard Hopkins was, like, production manager for Genesis during the <laughs> fucking 80s yeah, and shit. Uh-huh. Like, Howard Hopkins is, like, one of those dudes. You yeah, know, you're like, yeah. oh, my God. You know? Yeah, like an arena awesome. guy. Yeah, yeah. Right? like, big, 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 mm-hmm. big, big, big. Like, the who, you mm-hmm. know, like, big shit. You know, like, damn, man. I mean, I met people in London when I was working for CeeLo Green that knew fucking how. Oh, you know Howard Hopkins? I was like, yeah. I was like, shit. It was pretty <laughs> awesome. They were like, love him. I was like, damn, this guy is huge, right? 
And sure enough, man, I swear to God, it was like, <clears throat> finish the Jack's Mannequin tour. Actually, I didn't even think I finished, man. I think I had to leave it. Like, like we all went home, and then there was like two or three shows like a week and a half later, you know. And I had to get somebody to cover me for those shows. But, you know, and Andrew was cool with that. He was like, go do your thing. And I was like, cool. You know, because Howard called. I wasn't home two days. Howard calls up. Well, Sorv, I want you out here. You know, can you can you be on a plane tomorrow at nine? I was like, sure. Hit me up. You know, let's do it. I didn't have the kids then. I think mm-hmm. I don't think Ellie was born yet. Yeah, I don't. I don't think she was. Maybe she was. Maybe she was brand new still, first year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, sure, cool. Got on the plane, went to, and they were still out on their run. Their guy left early like three weeks early mm-hmm. so i jumped into his gig which is like kind of really hard you know what i mean because like i didn't get to do any of the pre-tour stuff right you know what i mean you like, just came in the middle of the tour came in the shit. middle yeah, of the yeah. tour had to figure out all his wireless shit and all his gear and all his crap and and everything and and uh i was able to do it and i was able to fix their piano and fix their shit like they were about to send off they were about to spend like twelve grand to mail a piano back because they didn't know what was wrong with it, and I went in there and wiggled a few wires and boom. And they were like, "Oh my god, freaking the fuck out!" You know what I mean? I was like, "Cool." <laughs> now about that raise, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so like, yeah, you know, and uh, and they were good guys. I like the fray man. They were good guys. I mean, Isaac and you know, people are always like, "Oh man, aren't they like a Christian band?" I was like. You know what? Here's the thing, and I think the lines get blurred sometimes. You know, just because you're a Christian and you play in a band doesn't mean you're playing a Christian band, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, and I don't really see them bringing that into their music. Mm-hmm. You know, like I see that they, you know, you know, they, you know, after really listening to their songs a whole bunch for a couple of summers, you know what I mean? Like it was kind of like I get it. You know, right? Interesting way they they got to where they are, and I think that's why they kind of always seem awkward. In public, I think. You know, we have a weird parallel going on here. I just have to say this, that, that the last guy I uh, interviewed was Ricky Tubb, yeah. who works as a guitar tech, yeah. right? And he went out with Jet for a while, and the last job he had was with Lifehouse, which is a thinly, as he pointed out, thinly veiled Christian rock band. There you go. So there's some pattern. There's there. a pattern going on here. Synchronicity, maybe. I know guys that work for Lifehouse. I'm, and I you know, know Ricky, Ricky Tubb. Of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. I've known Ricky for a long time, man. Shit. Yep. So how long? are you, You're still getting that work? You're still doing oh, yeah, tech man. work? Yeah. Like I finished with uh, the fray. And again, I didn't know what Because like somebody asked me one time, I was like, do you work for like a company? I was like, no, actually, it's kind of just me and my name, you know. And You uh, got a card yet? Hell no. Sorv Guitar Tech? Man, we need to do something about well, that, Well, I don't dude. guitar tech now. Get your own website. Oh, you got, oh you're a stage got, manager now. No, I'm no? tour manager now. Tour manager. Yeah, God damn. Moved up. Now I'm like the boss. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, even though then, though, you know, like, I didn't mind guitar teching for, you know, uh, bands like The Fray and stuff so like that. So by the time you're working for The Fray, you're not a... Uh, you were a guitar I was a guitar tech okay. for The Fray. But you've gone to learn from like that hot... And then I went to... After that, I got home after the Kelly Clarkson Fray tour. Got home. I wasn't home two days. I got a call from Ben Erickson from Grace Potter and the Nocturnals. And then I did their whole winter tour last year before Andrew mm-hmm. decided to launch his solo stuff under his own name. Mm-hmm. And uh, he asked me to come and do this thing with fun which is a band that used to play with Andrew all the time anyway, back before they got really big. And uh, and their first show was in Minneapolis. 
of all places. And I happened to be there on a day off while I was with Grace Potter. Yeah. And that was the problem. I was out in the middle of a seven-week tour with Grace Potter, and I couldn't. The tour came really late for Andrew. And I had known that there was a tour for him coming up in March. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I'll do that for sure. But, like, I got to finish this Grace thing. And it didn't end until, like, you know, like like early March. And it, Andrew's thing started late March. And so, like, uh, yeah, so I didn't go do that. But I did see him on the first show. I saw him off piece. Came back, did the March run with him. And I wasn't the tour manager. I was just a production manager then, mm-hmm. you know, and still teching everything and, you know, loading and unloading the trailer and everything else like that. And then uh, it was on that tour that, you know, um, he had a new guy. We had this guy, after Casper, we had this guy, Arvis, who was our tour manager. Dr. J might tell you about him later. Um awesome guy you know he was like tour manager for something corporate uh for years and i re- i met arvis when i first met arvis he was you know tour managing for something corporate and then jack's mannequin and he went on to work in management the management company that was managing jack's mannequin and so like they needed a tour manager they met casper casper became the tour manager for like two years and then uh because andrew fired that management company and so Arvis quit and needed mm-hmm. a job. And so he came back as tour manager, which was great because hands down, again, like I said, I get to work with these people that like triple A, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So like you kind of know what normal is, you know, like that's where the money is. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So, you know, and so like, and that was the thing, you know, this this new guy that Andrew had on that last run, great guy, nice guy, but he was a terrible tour manager. And he was like, do you want to be the tour manager? And I was like, well, I kind of thought about it. I called my girl about it. I was like, fuck, you know, I kind of want to go somewhere with it. You know what I mean? You know, like kind of, or at least I had another thing, you know, because I've stage managed. That's crazy, dude. You tech, think about it. You're like your mom, tournament. you know. You're like, you know, you get the same trajectory through the music business that she did through the Army, except you can talk about it. Yeah, I guess you know? <laughs> Yeah, I guess I can talk about it. <laughs> you're going to retire and you're going to be all these fucking medals laid out on a big ass table. Like, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, because it's a campaign. I mean, it's like it's the same kind of shit. You're mobilizing a shit ton of people. Yeah, it's a big ass undertaking. There's got to be, you know, you're like the fucking general. It's a big you know? deal, you're dude. The quartermaster, I mean, the general, all that shit. It's budgets. Yeah, it's, armies of fucking people going up and down the road, and it's crazy. You see, you know, the hotels you got to book the. The, the car services that have to be booked to pick everybody up just to get them to the hotel. You got to think of every detail. Yeah. Literally every detail of everything down to like where we're going, where are we spending our days off. I wonder that's what it one. means that that is more attractive to me than being in the band that's on the stage. Like I would yeah. rather be doing that. I'd rather be behind the scenes like, you know, supporting all that stuff and putting all that shit together. That yeah. seems like more fun to me. Yeah. Yeah. I literally quit Grace Potter because cause like – I was supposed to go out with Grace in May, and, uh, you know, that conversation we had, I had, and Andrew was going out with OAR in June. Mm-hmm. And, man, at this point, man, I had been on the road pretty solid for, like, three years. I missed the birth of my second daughter. It was fucked up. I was really missing You home. have two kids, two girls? Two girls. Wow. Man. How old? Um, one is three, and one is uh, 11 months. Wow. And so, like, you know, I was missing home. I was missing my girls. And Heidi's a nurse or? No, she's a Ph.D. 
doctor, medical writer for the Massey Cancer oh, Center. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, she, did she work as a nurse for a while at one point? No, she was I guess I just assumed that. Oh, yes, I remember now. Cause she's I've, getting a PhD the whole time, and she worked in the lab. She's going to listen to this and be mad, because I remember like talking to her in a fucking pub, and she was like, how come everyone thinks I'm a nurse? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, she can be at times, I'm not going to say. <laughs> She'll break out the nurse outfit. <laughs> she was doing cancer research like type yeah. stuff even back. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah, she's totally cancer research, man. Now she's like, she works with MDs, you know, on the front line doing mm-hmm. clinical trials. So wow. It's pretty awesome. She's got a good gig. She got a really. Sounds good like you, you guys both do, man. Yeah, it's, it's good. Nice, nice, nice gig you got going on. It's yeah. really good, man. I mean, it wouldn't exist if I didn't have a strong woman, and she's pretty awesome, man, because she she handles it in strides, you know. And I, that's why, like, you know, gosh, I've been painting all day. <laughs> Every time I'm home, my honeydew list. Not anybody is from here to China. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, like you're such a. Um, I think I said affable guy before. There's, you know, all of the temptations there are on the the road and all that kind of stuff. Like you're, you just seem stay in a in a good frame of mind. You're like a cool. You're just cool with yeah. it all the time. It's, it's fun. Like, yeah, it's easy. I mean, like you know, and I think that was the thing that some Andrew, people would go way too far with that shit, man. You're not one of those guys, you know. No, I mean, well, you know, I mean, there's been times when I've definitely gotten wasted out on the road, but like never to the point of like because you know you can't, you know, on the road you represent. You know the people you're with, so you know you can't really be too much of an ass. You know, it's like that wouldn't stop a lot of people. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and you know, I tell you, maybe. But that's why you've had like, the career you've. Yeah, you've because had like it. I never wanted to embarrass my friend Bob, who's like one of my bestest friends in the world, by giving me the chance to do this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and even the other artists that I've ever worked for. But you know, tons of dudes have gotten those situations and gotten those opportunities and blown them. Oh yeah. Like, you know, they just. Oh, like yeah. in your head, and I—that's I, one of the things I really admired about you—is that you seem to do it well. You know, to play play the role and not and not fucking fuck it up. No, you know? I had no idea to grown to what it has. That yeah. I, I just kind of thought you when you went out here and there and guitar tech. You're like you fucking big shot. Yeah, man. I I went back and like I did the uh, you know like I said I came back from the fray thing, did the Grace Potter thing, got the production manager thing with Andrew with his new thing. And then, you know, went straight to the tour manager. I got the tour manager the whole OAR. I'm still the tour manager now. I got shows coming up, you know. So wow. it's pretty cool, man. I mean, I, I, I'm i happy with it. I hope he's happy with it. He seems happy. He told me at the end of the last tour that it was the best, one of the best tours he's ever had. And I was like, dude, we're talking about a guy who's been doing this for like 15, since he was 16 years yeah. old, you mm-hmm. know, on a big scale, like big budget tour, like you know big money you know what i mean it's amazing how much all this shit costs you know mm-hmm. to do this you know production costs buses man just the cost of a bus is like god kill i never it's <laughs> mind blowing you know you're like what really i'm like we're gonna pay that much for this is that for real? and that's a deal oh my god i'm like damn and then you know you see what managers cuts and fucking booking agent cuts and Man, it takes a lot of money to make money in this. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It really does. I mean, you know, it's really crazy, man. But well, I'm glad you're getting your piece of it. Yeah. It's That's pretty cool, man. couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And I got to tell you, you know, like I said, man, I mean, you know, A, B.O.B. for giving me the chance, you know, with Jack's mannequin. But I, even then, you know, it was really up to Andrew, you know, then, you know, and like he gave me a chance then, you know, and he gave me a chance on this. He's given me a lot. So I love. I the think guy. It, I it, the guy at this point we it's can say that you have earned all of this. Well, 
True, you know, I you mean, know? like, you know, ended up, you know, working out, but like, you know. You, you did know, this. You're good. Kind of put, you know, You're good two at good it. things you together, know? you know. He didn't give you a chance. You fucking do a good job, man. Well, You're giving him a chance <laughs> to have a good fucking tool manager. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of years, I might be able to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so between that and the uh, spaces, everything's been really good, man. Like oh, yeah, and you're kids. running that practice space over here. And so are there going to be any Channel 43 shows? Or yeah, we got, well, we're, we're recording eight new songs right now. Well, we're going through the demo phase. Mm-hmm. You know, we're like, we're trying to, we're going to do, we're going to we're gonna go spend some money and go to a, like a real, all these years we've always done it ourselves. Yeah. But I think we're ready to kind of like go off and, and do some stuff. I really loved working with JB. I, I would love to see if he'd ever want to go to a different studio and, and help us do some stuff, but maybe, maybe not. I don't know, you know, either which way. I think we're going to work everything out on our shit, mm-hmm. get all the vocal ideas down. You know, the music part's one thing, but the vocal ideas, you know, on our last studio experience turned out to be the thing that really put Is it all Jimmy singing? No, uh-uh, no. I mean, usually, here lately, like, there's usually one song on every record that I'll sing, you know, but, you know, I do a lot of backups, and so does uh, Mike Dixon, mm-hmm. Colin Tony. He, uh, he but he seems he's the lead singer, though, right? Uh, no, Jim is Jim, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, yeah. Phil Rollins, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Although we talk about putting Phil. a t-shirt on now, so, <laughs> which is a good thing. It's been working out. And uh, <laughs> no shirt, headset, mic. Yeah, I don't know the fuck he could play like that and still sing, man. God yeah. damn, I know uh, he's a beast, man. And so we put out, you know, Cold Day in Purgatory, and like, man, we've already gotten like interview requests from. Fireworks magazine out in UK, so we got well, some damn. things happening. Thanks for taking the cool. time with me, shit, dude. No worries, dude. I mean, you know, no worries at all. You know, I wasn't even. Uh, it's kind of funny because like we had been talking after that, after that interview request, like we had talked before, and, and then the interview request came for Fireworks magazine, which was mm-hmm. like, damn, you know, that was pretty cool. We'll and I had only make... mentioned it to a few people that I know. It's like, look, if you're feeling generous or whatever, yeah, maybe you know. I was only implying just buy the damn thing. It's only 10 mm. bucks. You know what I mean? Like, mm. you know, that's the biggest form of support. I'm like, you can sit there and say, oh man, I dig your shit. But like, really? Cool. $10, you know, is a lot better than, you know. Yeah, just, people don't like know. paying for anything. Never have. Yeah, I know, man. I mean, like, give me free music and I, I can't, you know, I can't front. I'm guilty. You can't even shit. give them music. You know, it's, it's just that when you want it, you want it free. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want you to force your shit on me. No, 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 no. Right, right. You know, I gotta want it, you know. And then when I want it, I want it for nothing. All right? Yeah, you know, like man, hold up. It's a one-sided relationship. It really is. But I, yeah, right. what are you gonna do? Yeah. At least uh, it, I don't know what I was gonna say. I just totally had a brain fart. So we got you're doing Channel Forty Three. You're tour managing and running that space over there. Hey, man, I could take that space off your hands. I'll run that for you. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Who I takes mean, care of that when you're gone? Oh, my God. I got to send my girl over there to collect the rent checks and everything. And, mm. you know, so. Well, they got like a drop box or something. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's really awesome because, like, most people pay, you know, with PayPal nowadays. Made it really convenient years ago, you know, to mm-hmm. be like, look, if you're on the road, you know, you can still pay your rent on your space, you know, while you're gone, you know. So. You know, and so that's worked out. That's really, it was slow, you know, in the very beginning, you know, years ago. Nobody did PayPal, but now it's gotten to be like a big source of everybody's. Mm-hmm. 
So that's really what little cool. money I make off of this thing is all PayPal. I get like a little donate there you thing. Go. Yeah, yeah. Well, not oh, some of it comes from other places, but yeah. well, shit, man. Uh, it's getting late, and we're we've been talking a while. It's been really awesome catching up. Yes, it has. Thank you, brother. Sorry about. Thanks for coming out. Good old Sorv. That was nice talking to him. I haven't seen him in a while. He's looking good. Looking uh, looking like an authority. A man. You know, he also runs these uh, practice spaces over uh, at Scott's Edition that uh, I know there are vacancies in. So uh, you should hit him up. I don't know what the hell they're called, but uh, ask around. Or you can contact me and I'll tell you. But uh, if you're in a band and you practice space, he's got a complex over there. That's where Greta practices. We visited her over there. All right, kids. Um, until we meet again, this has been Tantric Conversation. And uh, I need money. Please, if you haven't already donated a little something please do a little just something you know 10 20 dollars would really help right now because i'm fucking broke that's the irony when i wasn't working i could hustle lots of time to go help people do shit pick up a little work here pick up a little work here there here there everywhere i work and i uh, kept it head above water but then once i actually start spending all my time working somewhere i'm broke it's ironical isn't it Yes, it is. So uh, now more than ever, could appreciate a little, little something, little snaps, some snaps on the petrol and the gas that's running this operation. And uh, we got a got a really great conversation tantric coming up with Kobe Batty. He and I get real metaphysical up in this piece. I'm probably gonna post that Saturday. And uh, yeah, get ready. It's gonna get deep and cosmic. Archetypical, mythological, pedagogical, all that stuff. Hey, namaste, motherfucker.